the Philippian letter is, to me, one of the most amazing books in the Bible. As I read it, I, I just can't help but think about the situation Paul was in as he wrote it. Here was a man who had been imprisoned because of his faith. Here was a man who specifically knew of people who had tried to kill him. He specifically knew of people who tried to add more distress to his bondage. Folks really were out to get Paul. Here was a man who had been beaten for his beliefs, persecuted for his faith. He had endured times of hunger and want. He had gone nights without sleep at times. Here was a man who could remember amazing sins and suffered guilt, calling himself the chief of sinners. Here was a person that if anyone ever had a right to a lack of mental health and emotional stability, it was Paul. Paul was the right candidate for all manner of disorders of the mind, paranoia, depression, anxiety, on and on the list could go. And yet as I read the letter to the Philippians, what amazes me is no less than 18 times in 14 verses, Paul talks about joy and rejoicing. That's actually 13.46 percent of the verses in Philippians deal with that. That's more than one in ten of the verses in Philippians deal with joy and rejoicing. And I just can't help but be amazed at that. Despite all that Paul had endured, despite all that Paul was enduring, despite all that Paul had done and all that had been done to Paul, Paul was still able to maintain joy and peace and contentment. Now, I'd like for us to look through the letter to the Philippians to see what Paul gave to them as a prescription for mental health and emotional stability. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we praise your name, and we're thankful that you have sent your Son to die for us so that his blood could cleanse us of our iniquities. We're thankful that you sent your Spirit to reveal your Word so that we can study it and understand it. We pray that today, as we consider the revelation that your Spirit gave to Paul, that he wrote down and passed on to the Philippians, that we might learn from it to have contentment and peace and joy in you, that your peace, which passes our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Father, help us to hang on to that promise and to grow in it so that we can be a people who bear your fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Help us, Father, to be lights into this world, to demonstrate to the world that when we come into Christ and we grow in him, that we can have the peace and the joy and the contentment that comes from you. Father, we pray that you would please guard our hearts and minds. Take our anxieties away from us. Help us to rely on you and to put our trust in you. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. No doubt in this kind of lesson I have to begin with this caveat. I recognize that there are some medical disorders which might cause some of the mental disorders that we're talking about. Nothing that I'm saying today should be construed as a medical 
diagnosis for a medical problem. If you really have a medical problem, you need to follow your medical solution. However, for the numerous times when the problem is not medical, what do we do? And this is what I think we find here. And I hope that we can find, for most of us, the solution to our mental health problems and emotional instability that we sometimes have because of the attacks of Satan. The very first thing that we need to recognize is that Paul pointed out that God is with us. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One of the things that we need to recognize is that we are not alone. We have not been abandoned. We are not walking through this dark, dank world by ourselves. God is with us. He will not abandon us. As Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 points out to us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Our God will not leave us. It points out there, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? No matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, no matter how dark and dismal it is, we can always rest in this hope. Our God is with us. Sometimes our friends that abandon us, sometimes our family abandons us. But God does not abandon us. No matter what you're facing, you are not alone. God is with you. Paul was able to remember that. And I think about his statement in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 where he points out that we should be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I can't help but think about his statement there and then remember the parallel passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 where Peter said something similar. He said in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we should be casting all our anxieties upon God. Why? Because God cares for you. This is the thing we have to remember. God is with us. God loves us. Sometimes when things are going poorly, it's easy to be distracted from that. Satan wants us to forget that. But God loves us. He demonstrated it by sending His Son to die for us, even while we were in our sins. How much more proof do we need that God loves us? I mean, if He would sacrifice His Son for us, what else would he do? What wouldn't he do to help us and be with us? Remember that. God is with you. Secondly, you need to focus on serving others, not just on self. Here is Paul in prison. And I don't know about you, but if I was in prison for my faith, I think I would be thinking all kinds of thoughts about me. About how awful it is that this happened to me. What did I do to deserve this? How could this happen to me? But that's not what Paul was thinking about. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 7 he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then, later on in the chapter, as Paul is dealing with this choice of, of do I go on and be with the Lord or do I stay here? Why did he stay here? He wasn't sitting there thinking about, oh, I don't want to stay here because I'm in prison and how awful this life is. He said, I want to stay here in verse 25, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What was Paul thinking about? He wasn't thinking about his needs and desires and wants. He was thinking about what the others needed, desired, and wanted. He didn't have time to be caught up in the anxieties and the depressions and the paranoia that came from his own situation because he was too busy thinking about others. I can't help but think about Jesus' statement, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who are focused on providing compassion and mercy to others because they're the ones that will receive mercy, both from God and others, by the way. We often hear the statement, God helps those who help themselves. That's not really true. What the Bible actually teaches is God helps those who help others. Paul told the Philippians this is the same mindset they should have in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to get outside of ourselves and instead of brooding and deliberating all our own problems, start getting out and helping others in the areas where we can help them. If we spend ourselves in the service of others, we remove some of the time that Satan has to attack us and gain a foothold in our lives. The Philippian prescription for mental health and emotional stability. Remember God is with you. Focus on others and not self. Number three, look for the positive in every situation. Look for the positive. And now, you can ask James. I have a really bad habit of being very cynical. I have a, I have a cup in my office. I should have brought it up. I should have put a picture on it. It's my favorite coffee cup. It's clear, and it's got a line right in the middle of it. And above the line it says, the cup is now half empty. Uh, you know, that's sometimes how I kind of look at the world. And isn't that easy for us to look at the world and, and have that the cup is now half empty mindset? But what we need to learn is to look to the positive. What good things are going on? Remember, Paul is in prison. But instead of writing to the Philippians and complaining to them and, and mumbling and groaning about all the negatives here, in Philippians chapter 1, notice what he says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was able to look for the positive that came out of the situation. Instead of complaining and grumbling about the negative, he found the positive. The gospel is spreading. I've been able to talk to the Imperial Guard. If I hadn't been arrested and imprisoned with them, I'd have never been able to talk to them. He goes on to talk in the next couple verses about those who preach the gospel with less than positive motives and the fact that they're trying to distress them. But, but notice what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Instead of brooding over the negative here, he found the positive. Hey, Christ is still being preached. I mean, I'm concerned about their souls and what they're doing and their bad motives, but Christ is being preached. 
And I can rejoice in that. We need to learn to look for the positive. But I realize that there are some situations where we in our finite lack of wisdom just can't see a positive. I've been in those situations. And have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't find anything positive? I think we've probably all felt like that sometimes. That's when we need to remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and about our God and the kind of God that we serve. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, we need to remember that even when we can't see the positive and we can't see the good, our God can. And if we love Him and continue to serve Him throughout the dark times, He will bring it together for good. He'll bring out that silver lining and will use it to accomplish our ultimate good in the end. So remember to look for the positive. Number four, remember the blessings that God has given us. We need to remember the blessings God has given us. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, I think sometimes we kind of just often overlook this little section here because it's, it's a little bit more personal. It doesn't seem to have any doctrinal teaching, and yet there's a really important point that's made here. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. Paul is describing a blessing. He said that Epaphroditus was sick, almost dead. But God had mercy not only on Epaphroditus, Paul said he had mercy on me because I would have had sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphroditus had died. But God extended his mercy and saved his life. And now I want you to be able to rejoice in this blessing as well. Paul was able to look at the blessings he had received. Instead of spending all his time thinking about the things that hadn't happened the way he might want them to do, he was looking at the things that did happen well, the blessings that he did receive. We need to count our blessings, as the song says. And when we count our many blessings and think about what God has done for us, we won't spend so much time complaining about what God hasn't done for us yet. But count your blessings. Name them one by one. Don't just talk about how in general we've been blessed. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. What has God done for you? You got a place to live in right now? Have you been eating all week long? You got clothes on your body? You got family and friends? I mean, just think about all these things that God has done for us. And when we count our blessings, we won't have as much time to think about, well, those blessings we still want to get, but haven't gotten yet. The fifth thing that Paul points out is that we need to press on in serving Christ and press on for the goal of heaven, focusing on where we're going, not on where we are. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Actually, back up, verse 4. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. I want to read several verses here. It says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, I've let everything that was gained to me be counted as lost because I realize there's one thing that's more important than everything else, and that's being in Christ, and that's having Christ's righteousness. His position among the Pharisees, his popularity among the Jews, the, the fast-track career he had among his Jewish society, he gave all that up in order to focus on serving Christ, in order to look to heaven. And the reality is, I think in a moment of brutal honesty, a lot of these emotional instabilities that we face come because we are focusing on the peripherals of this life. They come because we place too much importance on things that just aren't that important. In comparison to going to heaven. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says to us that instead of having our mind focused on things down here, we need to have our mind focused on things above. That's where our care and concern needs to be. And so often, we struggle mentally and emotionally because our care and concern is down here. And that's my experience. But Paul says, focus on heaven. Focus on going to heaven. Focus on the righteousness of Christ. That's part of his prescription. The next thing we learn is that we need to pray, casting our cares on God. In fact, probably the most common piece of advice we ever offer anyone, the most popular is what we find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, where Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We've already quoted 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 that says, that we should cast our anxieties upon God because God cares for us. We need to understand that God wants us to do this. God wants us to turn to Him. God wants us to pray. When something is causing us concern, God wants us to lay that at His feet. But here's the thing we need to understand, and this is what I have trouble with. I don't have trouble with saying the prayer. I have trouble with trusting God. And that's what's behind this prayer. It's not just make sure you say your prayers and mention the things you're concerned about. It's the fact that instead of me being anxious about it, I trust God to deal with it. Now, one of, the, one of the problems that I have is the desire to control all the outcomes and responses of everything. I mean, I think about my kids. One of my greatest fears is that my kids are going to grow up and not serve the Lord. Any of the other parents have that fear? You know, one of the things that I have to learn is I can't control my kids when they grow up. 
There is not anything that I can do as a parent that is going to foolproof force them to be faithful servants of God. Now, I can lie awake at night being anxious about that, and I have done that. Or I can let my request be made known to God. Simply do what God says I'm supposed to do, and let God handle the outcome. That's what that prayer is. It's not just make sure to mention it verbally. It's saying trust God. It's saying recognize that you can worry about something all day long and it's not going to change what happens. I can't control people. You can't control people. I can't control the weather. You can't control the weather. I can't control the stock market. You can't control the stock market. I can't control who gets voted in as president. You can't control who gets voted in as president. I can't control what's going to happen to retirement money. You can't control it. We can't. So why are we spending all our time being anxious about it? Let your request be made known to God. And then just do what he says. And let him deal with the rest of it. Because there's no amount of worrying and anxiety that's going to change anything. I can simply do what God has said and trust God. Seventh, control our thoughts. A lot of the things that we've talked about in this list, this prescription list, have had to deal with thought control. And some would suggest to us that that is impossible, but Paul says that it's possible. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If Paul is going to tell us what to think about, that means we can control what we think about. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm just saying that we can do it. We need to be working at that. We need to be thinking on these things, things that are positive, things that are good, things that are righteous, things that are holy. That's what our mind needs to be filled with. And when we're thinking about those things, we don't provide the devil a foothold to get us to start dwelling on the things that are bad. As we consider this, there's, there's two points that we need to think about. Number one, our mind won't think about things that we don't ever let in there. So our first defense on this is don't let bad things in there. I'm talking about what we watch on television, what we listen to on the radio, the books we read, the magazines we read, the movies we watch, the music we listen to. Don't let bad things in there. If we don't ever let them in there to begin with, we're not ever going to be threatened with it. But that leads us to our second point, because here's the problem. And I know you're probably already thinking this. Whoops, too late. We've all sinned. And what that means is there's already bad things in there for all of us who have reached an age of accountability. And I think perhaps it is safe to say that we won't be able to control thoughts that flit into our mind. We won't be able to control the fact that a sight, a sound, a smell, a statement might bring up something that was sinful in our mind. But I think it's interesting, the New American Standard there says dwell on these things. That's what we can control. We can control what our mind dwells on. 
Our first line of defense is don't let bad things in, but that's already happened. And so now our second line of defense, don't let any more in. But number two, when those things from our past pop in, have a plan. Have a scripture you can quote. Have a song you can sing. Have a brother or sister you can call and pray with. Have a plan for when those things come up so that you can diffuse it and focus on something else. I'll tell you, for me, now this, this has really helped me, that when I have bad thoughts come into my mind, and I'll just be honest with you, that typically, you know, it's like this for most of us guys, the bad thoughts we're talking about, thoughts about lust, Here's the thing I've learned. If I call somebody and say, here's what I've been thinking and I need your help to think about something else and we pray, there's something about just telling them. Just getting it out into the open instead of letting it fester in the heart. That helps. So you need to have a plan. Have a plan of what to do when those thoughts come in so that we can control what we do think about. And finally, Paul said, Learned contentment. He had learned contentment. And I want you to highlight that word, learned contentment. Paul wasn't born content. Paul learned contentment. In verse 11 of chapter 4, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul had learned contentment. How much of our anxiety, our depressions, our paranoia have to do with we're not content, but scared that we're not ever going to get all we want, or scared that what we have is going to be taken away from us. Paul said, hey, I've learned it. Everything I have can be taken away. It's okay. I've learned contentment no matter what I face. Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 13 a few moments ago? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, I think it's interesting. Let's read it again. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You notice what the Hebrew writer says? Our contentment is not that I am content with all the material goods that I have. The contentment is based on the fact that I have God. And when I can learn to put my contentment in the fact that we, what we started off with, remember, see how it's kind of gone full circle. Learn that God is with us. When we can remember that, we can have contentment no matter what we're facing. If our house gets taken away, if we lose our job, if we've only got the clothes on our backs and we're not sure where our next meal is going to come from, at least we've got God. I might starve to death, but when I've got God, all that is is a gateway to heaven. Learn contentment. Learn the contentment that comes with knowing God is with us. And we can face the other thing. My question for us is Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 9 he says what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do we really believe that? 
Do we really believe that Jesus is offering us peace and joy and contentment? Or do we think that we, like everybody else in the world, are just doomed to suffer depression and paranoia and anxiety? Well, look, I'm not talking about the, the, the moments of sadness, the days of sadness that comes from having lost a loved one. If you don't get sad when that happens, there's something wrong with you. I'm not talking about the fact that you're not ever allowed to be afraid if you're walking down a dark street and you hear somebody behind I'm not talking about that. But this general idea of we just linger in depression and paranoia and anxiety and mental unhealth and emotional instability, do we think that we as Christians are just doomed to that like everybody else? Or do we believe that if we submit to God, He'll give us peace? I believe that if we submit to God, His peace will be with us. His joy and His love. And I want to hone in again. Remember I highlighted that word, learned. It's a growth process. This is not an issue of, oh, I took two pills today because that was the prescription that Paul gave to the Philippians. I'm going to go home tomorrow and I'm never going to have depression, anxiety, and paranoia or any of those things ever again. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that. But if moment by moment, day by day, we make these principles a part of our lives, one day we're going to look back and we're suddenly going to realize, wait a minute, I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got contentment. And I did it God's way. I guarantee it. Not because I'm a mental health expert. Not because I have a degree in psychology or psychiatry. But because I believe God when He promises that when we do these things, His peace, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Do you believe? 